0: We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is sure to help in your journey of faith. Hear it twice daily. Details at vision.org.au Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media.
1: How many of you parents would be willing to say this? How many of you parents would pray, God, do whatever you have to do in me to bring my children back to you? Because historically speaking, that would mean you have to suffer. And you have to suffer greatly because when your children see your faith and trust in Jesus, when your life is falling apart, that's when your gospel is most compelling. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What he shuts, no one can open. What he opens, no one can shut. Today.
0: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher, mm. Hello, my name is Bill, and this is Today with Jeff Vines. I'm glad you've joined me to hear the rest of this message about a spiritual heart check. Pastor Jeff is partway through this message, so if you need to, head to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to part one of Open Doors, Closed Doors. Pastor Jeff is reading from Revelation chapter three, and we're hearing how the first Christians approached situations when doors open or doors close. Here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of this message.
1: We had a God's Pantry fundraiser last Friday, and we have a comedian named Nazareth show up. It was fantastic, wasn't it? Nazareth, what a name. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can any good comedian come out of Nazareth? I wondered. He told a story about a young man, and he told it so fast, I hope I can catch the, the gist of it here, but there was a young man who had had a great, uh, a successful life at a very young age, and he was being interviewed on the local radio station, and the, the host asked him if he had any regrets at all this far, and he said, yeah, I, I, I've got a few, but here's one. Evidently, when he was even younger, five of his friends decided that he would take his pet hamster, build a little parachute for it, and throw it off the sixth floor of an office building parachute was pretty good. So they dropped it, thought they would just catch him at the bottom and the parachute worked better than they thought. So the wind got it and he started kind of carrying it over the city. They watched the little hamsters. He went over the bay, over the island. They never found or saw him again. He said, what was really interesting, a, a lady called into the radio station to say, wait a minute. I used to live on that island across the bay.'" And my family and I, I begged my mother for a hamster for like six months. She said, If God wants you to have a hamster, he'll send you one. Sure enough, I was playing in the backyard and a hamster parachuted down from heaven. That's humorous, but who controls the winds that blow change into your lives? Everything that comes in, who, cont- who controls the winds and the waves? Social sciences tell us we take credit for the good things that happen to us, but blame the world and everything else for the bad. But in Matthew 8, 27, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. (laughs) Jeff, I'm having a hard time with this. I just don't think God would allow some things into my life. And you say that he's allowed these things into my life. Are you saying that God holds the key to every door? That if something comes into my life, God saw it and did not stop it, even tragic events? Friends, there's no other option. He's either God or he's not. He's either omniscient and omnipotent or he's not. There's no other system. There's no other way. Well then, if that's the case, then I'll tell you what. God doesn't love or care about me. I've had so much trouble in my life. First of all, he gave you his son and he secured eternal life. And if he never did another thing, he's done enough. But here's the second thing. You have no idea how many events in your life he has stopped. You only see what gets in. You don't see what he closes. You think, man, if this is my life, I can't imagine. <laughs> How much worse could it be? A lot more worse than you. Remember when we talked about Satan? He wants to destroy you completely. But God lets just enough in where it backfires and destroys him. But Jeff, God could have protected the six men who showed great courage in the story you told earlier. He could have spared Antipas. In Pergamum, he could have spared all the disciples. You know, they all died horrible deaths. One of the things that I'm sorry I just have to laugh at is when I see a preacher talk about how God never wants you to be sick, never wants you to be ill, and always wants you to be rich. And I think, dude, have you read the Bible? (laughs) All the disciples died horrible deaths. And they all praised the name of Christ as they were dying. They said, praise be to God. You know how many times we read that? Praise be to God. May we be found worthy to share in his sufferings. Now I got to stop there. Could I do that? If I'm experiencing something tragic, now if, if a guy steals the golf cart and I get my clubs back, I can probably say praise be to God. But if something is wrong with someone that I love, I'm not sure I could say it. But they said, may we be found worthy to share his sufferings. When I was in seminary, I did a a mini thesis on the problem of suffering. And you read again and again that they quoted Revelation and Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So here's what they were praying. May we endure the crosses of our lives so that we too may open the door for people far from God to come near. That's amazing to me. Can I... Would I be willing to say, God, do in me what you need to do if it means people far from God would come near? <laughs> and then, then my mind goes in this direction. If I can just be honest. Well, they didn't have that much to lose, you know? What I mean, <laughs> life was already bad. I mean, if they died, it wasn't that different, really, from the poverty. It and then I start to realize that's my problem. I've got too much to lose. It happens when you become affluent. That somewhere along the line, those things become precious and suddenly your kingdom becomes more important than God's kingdom. But when you're on the poverty line and you don't have that much to lose and everything to gain, you're more than willing to give up your life because the die is gain, absent from the body present with the Lord. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, one of the classic phrases goes like this, the church continued to grow, planted and rooted firmly in the doctrine of the apostles and watered plentifully with the blood of the saints. Do you see this? The kingdom of God became more real to them than the kingdom of man. And because the kingdom of God was more real to them than their own lives, and because they had a bigger picture than ease and convenience because they lived for the redemption and salvation of everybody around them. They were willing to suffer if it meant people far from God would come near. Suffering is only temporary. The kingdom of God lasts forever. I wish I could tell you, I'm your pastor, and I wish I could tell you, no matter what came into my life, I know I would say, praise be to God. I'm not so sure. I would want to. How many of you parents would be willing to say this? How many of you parents would pray, God, do whatever you have to do in me to bring my children back to you? Because historically speaking, that would mean you have to suffer and you have to suffer greatly. Because when your children see your faith and trust in Jesus, when your life is falling apart, that's when your gospel is most compelling. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords what he shuts no one can open what he opens no one can shut now let me give you a quid pro quo, and then talk about the last symbol you okay yes. we're still friends yes. <laughs> don't tempt god one of my favorite comedians is michael jr i wish i could be that funny and michael jr says you know what i love sports but coach always told me michael The things I'm teaching you here, it's not just about this game. You can apply it to life. And that resonates with me. Michael pauses and he says, coach, here's the thing about that statement. It's not true. I need you to stop saying it immediately. And then Michael Jr. says, I got a job right out of high school parking cars. And one of the cars was really nice, so I took it for a spin, a rather lengthy spin. The company found out, so my boss lost the account. And he's yelling and screaming at me and I didn't know what to do. So I thought back to my high school football coach and I looked at my boss and I said, you know what, man, you win some, you lose some. (laughs) You can't let this one loss get you down. The important thing is I went out there and had fun. (laughs) Don't do stupid things and then claim God sent this into your life to make you stronger. You drank yourself into oblivion. Your wife left you, your children hate you. And you're saying, why did God open this door? You cheated on your wife, destroyed your family. Why did God close this door? You refused community. Then you experienced tragedy and no one from the church came around to help you. And you say, why would God not open that door? There's no discipleship in your life and now you don't feel the presence of God. Why does God hide from me? Why did he close this door? But the beauty of the gospel ironically is that some doors were not opened by God, but when repentance comes, he has the power to redeem them all. We have Pastor Phil's funeral in this place on Friday. I was supposed to be the last speaker. By the time I got up there, we'd been in here for two hours. And then another speaker came up that wasn't on the program. And then another speaker came up and the last speaker that came up that wasn't on the program was Pastor Phil's son. With whom he had been estranged for seven years. But the son came to the funeral, which surprised me. And as everybody told their testimony and witness about Pastor Phil and all the struggles of his life and yet how he served and loved everyone, it broke his son and his son came up on the stage and just wept <laughs> and looked at heaven and said, I'm so sorry, I didn't know my father. And he kept saying over and over, can you ever forgive me? Can you ever forgive me? Well, I'm over there and I'm thinking, what on earth do I have to say? I'm supposed to close the message out with a sermon. No way, man. I got up on the stage. I said, you just got your sermon. If the, if the gospel is anything, it's forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? And people came around him and they prayed and it, it was like the pastor Phil strikes again. The spirit just descended into this place. People were weeping and crying and forgiving each other. Here's the thing, man, that hatred and bitterness that Pastor Phil's son felt, in one moment in time, repentance happened, and now God used him to open our eyes to repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation before it's too late. An alcoholic can actually become a voice for sobriety when he's redeemed. An adulterer can become a voice for faithfulness when she's redeemed. Isolationist can become a voice for community when they're redeemed. The point is this, according to the door and the key, when suffering comes into your life, it's not random. There's purpose to it for every child of God. It does not catch God by surprise. It is subject to his will and omniscience. The master artist is at work. The artist possesses absolute authority over the creation. There is a master artist. There's a grand designer. And what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, nobody can open. The Lord is my light and my salvation. What he closes, I will endure. What he opens, I will walk through courageously. This is the gospel. And I know if I would tell you that if you come to Christ, you're gonna get rich, you're never gonna have any problems, all your suffering's gonna go away, this place will probably be packed. <laughs> Remember what we said about tickling ears? But the truth is, you don't own your life. Now, if you stopped there, it would be a depressing message. But the third symbol that we read, In the letter to the church of Philadelphia is the pillar. Oh, this is beautiful. Let me read it to you. Verse 12, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them a name, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them a new name. Now notice, they will become a pillar in the temple. Never again will they leave it. Well, the temple represented the presence of God. So if you're a pillar in the temple, you never leave the presence of God. The message is, don't think Christ is going to send you out there through those doors on your own. If you read the stories of people who have endured much, they'll tell you the fact that they got a special revelation of Jesus almost made the suffering worth it. Job said, before I had heard about you with my ears, now I've seen you with my eyes. And you know this other passage that I've quoted from Job where he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end, he will stand upon the earth. Wait a minute, in this context, what could Job have been speaking about? See, in the past, I've always thought it was the end of time, the second coming, but I'm not so sure it is because who is Job's Redeemer right now? God. And God did stand upon the earth. Now stay with me. When Jesus faced his furnace, how did he respond? Let me out. When he saw the door through which he was supposed to walk, what did he do? If there's another way, not this door. He banged on the door and it didn't open. He faced the ultimate door and he found it closed. In other words, Jesus, the one who holds the key, knows what it's like to be locked out. Hebrews chapter two, because he himself suffered when he was tempted You don't think he was tempted to flee the garden? He's able to help those who are now being tempted. When Jesus faced the ultimate door, he found it closed. What was his response? Not my will, yours be done. Remember, I asked you the question about if I told you, would you pray to God and say, do whatever you have to do in me that my children may come back to you? You know what Jesus said? You know what God said? You're all my children, I love you, and I'll do whatever it takes to get you, even die myself. And in walking through the door of death and separation from God, Jesus walked through the only door that can really kill you. That's why the resurrection is so important because he always has the final word. And whatever you lose on this earth, he will replace to an infinitely greater degree. That's why he can use you for his purposes. But if you're not a person who hopper endures, First of all, recognize that we don't hop or endure because we haven't lost ourselves yet. We think it's us and God. And God wants to know, no, it's God. To do with your life, whatever he needs to do to help those who are far from God to come near. But I will go with you. And I will give you such endurance and I'll give you such strength. I will give you a revelation of myself that you've never seen before that together you and I will make it. You know, I've learned to pray in my life now. The older I get, the more I realize this. My prayer now is Psalm 23, only I pray it differently. God, whatever you do, make me lie down in green pastures. Lead me beside still waters. Restore my soul. Know that I'm weak. And if you're gonna open this door, go, go with me. Before, I may have heard about you, but let my eyes see you. I read a book a few years ago about a Japanese American PLW and the gist of the book basically was this, the torture, the death, the starvation, the cruelty. It was all so overwhelming that he said they, they never allowed themselves to laugh or cry. If they laughed, they were afraid they would start hoping, and there was no hope. If they cried, they were afraid they'd become so depressed they'd take their own lives. They became stoic. And then near the end of the book, you read that they learned through hidden radios that the war was over. And even though the war was over, they're still being beaten, they're still suffering. It's going to take two more weeks before the war ended for them, before the news reached. But he says, but now we were able to laugh and cry because we knew that redemption was coming. Folks, those first Christians in Philadelphia, to them, since the resurrection was true, nothing else really mattered. And the sooner they could get to that life, the better. I am saying to you that my life is shallow because I don't live for the kingdom of God as much as I should. And that's part of the problem with affluence. I meet my African Christians in places like Zimbabwe who are more than willing to do whatever it takes for their friends who are far from God to come near. And yes, primarily because there's no other hope other than Jesus. I want to do something this weekend. I want you all to bow your heads, please. On every campus, I want you to bow your heads. And those of you whose life is going pretty good right now, good for you. I'm happy for you, but there's many around you, I promise, that brought such a burden into this place and they're trying to come to terms with it and harmonize it with God who seems to be quiet, who seems to be almost absent. If your life is good, would you pray a prayer for them? And if your life is a mess right now and you just are at the end of your robe, can you listen to my prayer for you? And would you embrace it? Let a pastor pray a pastoral prayer. God, I pray for my friends in this room who are suffering under such tribulation and trials. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's the sickness or illness of a child. Maybe it's financial disarray, economic depression. I don't know what it is, but it's heavy on their hearts. I pray first of all, Lord, that you would open their eyes to the fact that you are the door and you have the keys and nothing makes it into their lives. Nothing that catches you by surprise. I pray that you would open their eyes, give them a revelation of yourself that sustains them. I pray that you would remind them that nothing comes into their lives over which you are not sovereign, that you have the power to permit, to stifle, to defeat And that in your time, you will in your way. I pray that you would reveal to them how it is that you're going to use this to help people far from God come near and how you're going to use it in their own lives to break away the chaff that the wheat may grow up strong. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would in the midst of this, while they're walking this path through a door that they would never choose for themselves, that you would make them lie down in green pastures, that you would lead them beside still waters, that you would restore their souls so that even as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they will fear no evil. Father, I pray that you would send people around them to encourage them, to open their eyes to how this door you are asking them to walk through will progress the gospel and that you would give them the ability to endure in order that those who are far from God may come near. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Father, I thank you for every person in the room. And I, I pray that anything I said that is not consistent with your word, that it would just be like seed on the path and it would be scattered, it would not take root. But anything I said that is consistent with your word and your movement in our lives, that it would take a deep root and it would go so deep that it would last for eternity. And in some way, it would encourage my brothers and sisters who are facing such trials. I pray, Father, that more than anything in this message, even though we have not talked about it often, that all of us would understand that it is impossible to endure, to hupomone, to hyper endure without a life of discipline Whereby we are in the Word, whereby we are living life in community with other Christ followers, whereby we are worshiping on a regular basis, whereby a priority in our life is to connect with the Savior, who, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because He holds us close to His side and empowers us to endure whatever He calls us to endure, that He assumes the responsibility to equip us to do that which He has called us to do. In His name, Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you may-